Why We Bleep is sponsored by Signal Sounds. It's been a busy old month, I can tell you that. I've finally got round to selling literally everything I own in order to build a modular system comprised entirely of envelopes. But when I finally attempted to reinvest my newly acquired funds, Signal Sounds, they claimed they'd sold every last envelope to the guy from Simeon Mobile Disco. So I returned to my original naughty plan of simply purchasing one of everything that they had new in. Turned out to be quite the investment because they always have lots of wonderful new things in all the time. So in this latest and most eye-watering spending spree, I bought the Herbs and Stones Liquid Foam. My goodness, CMOS sequencing has never made me want to dance so much. I got the Sputnik Audio Spectral Processor, set me back a little bit. I bought everything for Mona that they had, including the DRM1 Mark IV. Lovely. I tenderly handed over my tender to get the tenderfoot modules. I shook under the mat in order to get the shack mat modules, including the dual dagger. And I'm pretty sure they had one called like Shatner's bassoon or something equally insane. So I got that too. And it's a bit of a time for polysynths, isn't it? So I finally got the UDO Super 6. I bought the Profit 5 and I got the Profit 10. I got the keyboard and the desktop version. And to top it all off, I got an Algeria Polybrood. Of course, I literally can't afford the electricity to power all this stuff up now, but it's okay. I just like looking at it all. So to explore a deep and everlasting substitution for happiness in the purchasing of music equipment, head to Signalsounds.com. That website is Signalsounds.com. Why? Hi Sausage, welcome. We're back and today we present a conversation with an extremely interesting person, Jazz Shaw. You may be familiar with a small group called Simeon Mobile Disco. Jazz is 50% of Simeon Mobile Disco, but itself kind of on a hiatus at the moment for reasons that Jazz will explain very early on in our conversation, he has had to self-isolate for a bit longer than most of us have. And unfortunately, doing so away from his family in a barn, um, a very nice barn that he has done up. And we talk about the doing up of barn, but a barn nonetheless, which is where he has his music making equipment. So Jazz has been able to produce a record, Solbrookstella, which is a kind of contemplative, beautiful, ambient experience. It's basically like three records together um, and is highly recommended. Um, I've been enjoying it greatly for I was on Jazz's band camp before interviewing him and thought, do you know what? There's such a good deal here because you can basically buy his entire back catalogue for 50% off. So I did this and then received promptly an email from Jazz going, you're a total wally. I would have just given you that. Uh, what are you doing? Uh, which was my introduction to him. Jazz, I found to be extremely conversational, affable and interesting. This could be one of the sort of most contemplative and I think really interesting conversations when we try and poking the very kind of essence of what makes us tick when we make music. 
And so it really was one of those conversations where I'm able to like wind up the guest and just let them go, uh, which is a person who interviews people is, is always a, a wonderful thing to discover because it just makes your job so much easier if the person is, is ready for a chat. And good grief, we've all been hiding away. It's in different ways. And so Jazz was definitely up for a chat today and it was, it's been brilliant to talk to him. So I hope you will enjoy this. We talk about isolation. We do talk about the, the experience of that and the sort of reintegration with the world about being out of control in the studio and how much control you want to have and the absolute terror of starting a new record with the same gear that you made the last one with. Something that I've not really considered how difficult that may be, but but when you're in Simeon Mobile Disco and you've been very successful producing records and you're getting talked about a great deal, well, the eyes are on you, you know, in any successful venture like that, the eyes are on you um, to see what you'll do next. And it's interesting to hear Jazz's frank take on that, you know, because it, it wasn't easy. <laughs> And we do talk about modulars because he is a modular person, very electronic, of course, has got a pile of good gear. Yeah, some really good stuff. Um, and so I, I'm not going to delay hugely because we've got lots to talk about. I think you will be very, very interested by, by this one. And so before, of course, we talk to Jazz, we have just one more short sponsored message from this most wonderful sponsor. Why We Bleep is also sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creative and curious people like you, offering thousands of inspiring video-based classes on a very great many topics, such as photography, writing, music production, graphic design, drawing, filmmaking, productivity, the list, it is long, but the classes are short with most classes being under 60 minutes, there are lessons to fit any schedule. I don't think that anyone has found lockdown particularly easy. And in our busy lives, it is easy to forget to ask ourselves, how are we actually doing? So I was curious to check out Writing for Self-Discovery, Six Journaling Prompts for Gratitude and Growth by Yasmin Cheyenne. That is six prompts designed to help you use writing as a way to find time for self-care and translating insights through your writing into positive change. Another good habit to develop, I think. So if you'd like to watch Yasmin's class, you can do so for free with this sweet, sweet link. The first 1,000 of my subscribers to click the link in the description will get themselves a one-month free trial of Skillshare so you can start exploring your creativity today. And with that, I think we should all learn about the wonderful Jazz Shaw. Thanks. exactly the situation you had uh maybe four or five years ago because james and i uh james from simeon we uh we decided to get rid of our studio in london just because it's really expensive and we 
it was really small, you know, various reasons, small, all that stuff. I was actually only looking to like move probably like not very far, but I ended up moving really like literally 50 miles. And being a naive idiot, uh, <laughs> I thought that converting a barn would take six weeks, something oh, like no, that. No. Oh, no. No. Uh, so yeah, it took ages, but, uh, so I had more or less basically what the setup you've got, I had for, oh, it's just months, did my head in. So I'm in that barn at the moment. Um, so I've got a sort of like a sort of cancery type illness and I had a stem cell transplant slightly over a year ago and have been isolating. Wow. I started isolating in February last year leading into no i know that's before yeah, yeah so that's before. so like yeah I, it, it wasn't that i was smart or anything like my operation was early march because the barn's a separate building i've just been living in it like i only got back into the house three or four weeks ago something like that which is lovely but uh my littlest one had some symptoms and so he had a covid test so obviously i was like straight out the door uh, so yeah, I'm back in here again, but uh, it made me think looking at your kitchen setup behind, I've got the similar thing, you know, a kind of little stove in here and a kettle and all of that stuff works. Yeah. Get stuff tea, done. Tea. Yeah. Coffee. Gets made. Poison. Yeah. yeah. Pot noodles. Hopefully you're eating better given, you know, if you're not well, you need to, you need to eat. That's the, what I fear is that if I was left to my own devices, I would literally subsist on hot dogs. No one gets better on hot dogs from anything. No. Uh, I eat all right, you know, fine. I, actually, it's, I suppose it's one of those where when you're cooking for one person, you can be a bit selfish, you know, particularly if you're used to cooking for a whole family. You've got to kind of cater for a lot of grades of pickiness. And if it's just you, you're like, I'm just having this. It's all right. Uh, it's it? absolutely, it's, it is the dream. I mean, unless you can teach your kids to be non-fussy, but I'll need to take some tips on that because I'm too early in the game to know how. I mean, you just got to wait a decade, I guess. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> just, just let time take care of it. Yeah. Decade of sad meal times and screaming. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it gets better. So were you, were you separate to your family? Were you literally not able to see them because you had to be kind of physically isolated from anyone who could make you ill? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is, it was just for, it was just for much longer, right? So when I came out of hospital, it was really weird. Everyone was locked down, but I had been, I'd been kind of in the middle of it because I was in, I was in Tottenham Court Road. Like I was in use, like in the tower in UCLA. So I could see, uh, like when it first happened, no one really noticed. I could still see people like walking around and like going to bars and stuff. And then when it kind of really locked down, like traffic just stopped. I was weirdly close to it, but also really weirdly far away. But so when I got back, it just meant that it was ages. And my missus is a teacher, so she's the dirtiest of all. So uh, do you know what I mean? You've got to, yes. like, I had to, I had to isolate from, effectively, and also the kids as well, because, you know, they, they, once they were going back into school, yeah, homeschooling wasn't great. Just the whole thing wasn't great. So it just, it made enough sense. And the thing is like, you know, we live in the sticks. So I could, it wasn't like I couldn't see them at all. Like we could go outside and see them, but they, they couldn't, they couldn't come in or anything like that. Still hard. I feel for you. It's not a, like being semi close, but having to maintain your distance to your own family is like a, 
yeah, it was it was weird. And the weirdest thing about it is it just became very normal after a while, actually, um, which in itself is weird. It's just sort of extra layer of weird. I had a, a thing, once I started seeing people again, after like being in lockdown, I found it hard to look people in the eye. You know, I was sort of, I felt like it had set me back sort of 20 years of social awkwardness. All of the things that I thought I'd like gotten rid of had come back. I think that this is, I think this is really true. Like I went and voted the other day and I was bricking it, absolutely bricking it. Like I, obviously I really wanted to vote, but like I kind of walked in there because it was the first building that I'd been in that wasn't this building. So I was really like, uh, and you know, it was like, all the doors were open, windows open, like people were gelling their hands every 30 seconds. Uh, but it was even just like, even going into a shop, you become like with the food, you just become very used to being able to control your environment. And so like Jess has sort of tricked us to like go into this like bread shop and even walking into the shop was weird. But then the weirdest thing was that they were playing music and I was like, oh yeah. How is how did we get into this? Like, what what an insane imposition that I should have to listen to this bullshit that you're listening to. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? This is just normal. You go into a shop and you've just got to listen to their music. It's the height of... What? It's, it is strange when you put it like that. No way. Like, all the norms, we just switch them off for a little bit. And then when you come back to them, you're like, did we do that? A lot of how I have been particularly recently experiencing the world is quite sort of uh, third party, you know, just seeing what people are doing on social media or mates kind of sending me pictures of London parks or whatever. And one of the things I was seeing loads of was people going, oh my God, I can't wait to get back to this. Do you know what I mean? Like like the second clubs are open, I'll be in there. I'll, I'll be licking every other human being around me. And I could completely identify with it. And I was sort of like, you know what? That, that feeling of when you're back in front of a PA again, you know, just that kind of, just that thing that everybody's missed so much. But then, like, if I struggled to vote, the idea of being in a room where I can taste 400 people, do you know what I mean? Like, when you're in a basement and it's sweaty, I think people are going to have to be a bit gentle with themselves because I think that there's maybe... There's the chat. Oh, mate, I can't wait. But the reality of it is that some people, of course, will just lean back into it. But, you know, we've just, we've been taught for the last year that other people are a deadly poison. And that's not going to be unpicked as quickly as perhaps we all want. It's that thing of being near other people. I don't want to get close to another human being. And I'm, I'm, I'm slightly suspicious of strangers. You know, when I'm, I'm normally quite a sort of, you know, as you know, as you get older, you relax more and you kind of, you want to talk to people more and you want to get, you know, you want to have, I want to be that person that goes up to someone and has a conversation with a stranger, but I'm noticing that I'm more distant, you know. Well, I, I want to talk to people. But what I mean is I just keep a distance. I just don't want to go near a stranger. And that's just, I had thought to myself, like, when will that end? You know, when will that feeling of thinking, I don't want to even get within someone's kind of force field because they may have, you know, the, the illness to yeah. give me. You know, it's, and I think that's what you're saying. It feels like it's, so the opposite of going to a bar and like 
bumping up shoulder to shoulder with some complete strange, like being in a gaggle of people, like all queuing to get a drink. You know, just that concept is is ridiculous at this point. I mean, I'm looking at the stats and I'm seeing that there's the beginning of a third curve. You can see this little tilt. You know, it's it's exactly the same thing that happens every year with Mariah Carey's, um, you know, All I Want for Christmas. You know, where it's like oh, don't go every, there. Come on. if you look at the Spotify for oh. it, you know, or whatever, it, it, there's obviously an enormous colossal spike. And there's lots oh. of funny people that, that on like November the 1st or whatever it is, or November the 30th, there's that little beginning curve. And they're like, it's happening. Right. <laughs> people are starting to stream it. It's really difficult because... I think once we get back to a position where we can have clubs open, that sense of um, trust, kind of a sense of kind of everyone together and being close, just how great that can be. I don't think we just switch it back on. I, like I was really thinking about it, like the first gig I was like, oh, you know, first gig back, it'll be so good. Um, but, you know, seeing some friends who actually you know starting to do shows and with that sort of duality of you want to get back but you also want everyone there to be safe mm. you know and so there's this um I was talking to a friend about this idea of uh normal cosplay <laughs> Yeah. You know, because ordinarily with cosplay, you know, you're dressing up as something fantastic. Whereas actually, to a certain extent at the moment, we're just, it's, it's not, it's not normal. And, but people want it so badly that they'll sit in a pub, not even in a pub, outside a pub in the pissing rain, eating a rank sandwich, just kind of, this is fine. This is <laughs> right. You know, just because that activity is so, so missed. I think if you're talking about the idea of everyone learning to cosplay in their own clothes and, and for like that sense of coming together again, there's probably no better place than a dance floor for, for you know, if once people, and especially once people have had a drink, you know, the dance floor, you know, dance music, you know, techno and other styles are very much about people coming together and, and, and a sense of sort of positive unity on a dance floor. I think that's, surely it's the one of the best places where it's likely to be fostered, you know, that sense of people being together, be sharing an experience, being good to one another. Yeah. That to, that's where I've seen best examples of it, inevitably. You know, usually late at night when people are quite off their mash, but I mean, it's still the city, it's still just humans loving other humans, basically. Yeah. Being, being good to one another and, and considerate and interested in other people's stories and that's that to me i've seen that on the dance floor that's kind of where it that's where it happens for for sure and that's it that sense of trust um, it's it's to be fair it's it's always a real sense of trust because when you're in those situations it's you're always to a certain extent at risk right mm. in in you know now you really are to a certain extent relying on all those other people being careful and responsible before going into a venue it's, you know, it's a, it's a real palpable sense of trust. Uh, and so, so sometimes stuff like this can, uh, can, yeah, can bring out good things in people. So I have a question, which is what is your, you know, what has been your practice during this time? You know, you've obviously made a, a record. Well, you've made like, 
I don't, I'm sort of looking through and I can't pronounce it. So I'm going to look yeah. back at the word. So it's, How do you uh, say it? So Solberstella. So uh, I actually, yeah, Solberstella. Uh, so so a, f- a friend of mine, actually the guy who I did clavier with, uh, which is a, a like a, a Surin, a German guy who um, he's, you know, a friend and we've been doing some music together. He came, he kind of told me this concept. I think English people, we love these like compound German words, right? You know, kind yes, of all stem from Schadenfreude, you know, kind of. Yeah, I was about to say Schadenfreude. Yeah, they just like, they kind of, they, they pick up a concept so neatly, so specifically. Um, and the Germans are just like, yeah, it's just a word, you know, normal. Um, and so I kind of, he told me this word and I was really besotted with it. Like just really like thought it was amazing and kept on coming back to it. And then only a few weeks ago, I saw, I saw it. In, in a review and I thought, oh God, is this unbearably pretentious? Because, you know, the fact that you were like, oh, I'm not quite sure how I pronounce that. You know, it's like, like I'm going to be wearing a beret and I've chosen the yeah. most absurdly, you know. Um, so yeah, like I was like, oh Jesus, I've done it again, haven't I? Like, got it, got it wrong. You've got, you've not got pretension. You've got, I like, I've been looking through all your music since I got my sweet deal of buying your entire, well, <laughs> most of your back catalogue on Bandcamp. Thank you very Bless much, by the you. way. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think you got the raw end of the deal there. <laughs> I definitely got more music for my money, my 24 quid. Um, but the, I think you've got really good track names. I really like your sort of, there's a whimsy um, to your track names, which I think is, I'm a big fan of electronic music that has kind of whimsical, there's play in the name. Do you know what I mean? They're not, those don't feel pretentious to me. I mean, you know, the, um, oh, what was the remains of the clay? Absolutely brilliant. Um, <laughs> I think you but, might pick, pick up on that. I was like, clay sequencer, mate. That's, yeah. you've got, and I'm like, oh, well, what one of those? How's that? That's something we have to talk about. Anyway, but yeah, track names. I bet I do it the same way everybody else does it. How, how do you do it? Go on. You think of whimsical things that inspire, you know, that the tune inspires you of. I mean, the way I make electronic music is to just play sort of, it's like sculpture, like, or, or initially like um, looking at clouds, you know, you play with something to just see what happens. And then you hear something that catches your ear, like, you know, seeing a cloud and seeing the dog in the cloud then, and then I sculpt from there and then I add to it. So it's, it's a process of just throwing, you know, my hands randomly on equipment and then reacting to what I hear and going, well, this would go with that and then that would go with that. And, and then I actually am actively thinking about what to put next. I don't, I don't have like, you know, meanings to the songs. I don't often think like that. You know, are you thinking that way? Do you have stories or sort of... No, that's exactly how I do it. Hundred percent, yeah. And but um, but so interested. Like uh, one of the one of the things that I really like about uh, DJing is that because you're usually travelling on your own, and there's usually a bunch of other people there, you almost always end up having dinner with yeah. four or five other artists, and they're just at a loose end, knocking around. And I had this really interesting conversation with someone um, who does it completely the opposite way and they were saying that they I guess like more of a DJ thing they kind of hit they like oh I want this sort of bass line and these are sort of hi-hats and I want this sort of thing and I, then I want it to like move like this and then for this to happen and then for that to happen and it's and then they just get in there and construct it 
really like it's, yeah. it's literally just building it. They know what it, they know what it's, how it's going to go and they just do it. And really that can't do that. No, but like, you know, that, that conforms much more closely to the romantic ideal of making art, right? To, to me, that's kind of, it's, it seems much more, you know, like how I'd imagine if, you know, if I hadn't been involved in any of this, sort of like how you, you imagine they have an idea, you just go into the studio because it's basically somewhere that you construct music. Whereas sort of the way that I've always done it is completely the opposite way. I'm entirely reliant on a system and the bulk of the, the the equivalent to my thinking of a whole song is just me kind of like lolling about thinking, oh, I wonder if I plug that into that and this into that. Like, I wonder if if that'll do anything interesting. And then when you come in and you, you do it, sometimes it does. Or sometimes it does something that you didn't expect it to and you kind of follow it around. It's just, like, it's just sort of an in, like an interesting process and the music is like a residue. It's not really, not really the aim. Like you just, you're just doing it. You're doing this investigation. And at the end of it, you've either got a track or you just don't, right? And so it sounds kind of pretty mundane, but, and if the process is captivating enough, that's enough to just keep you doing it enough times that you get tracks. Mm. And I don't, I don't think this process requires gear per se. I think you can do it with anything. Like you could just, you know, do it all in a door. You can do it in a, you know, you could do it in Max. You can do it, do it with a tape machine, kind of do it anything, right? It's, it's just imagining like shaping the process and reacting to the output. And that's, I mean, you know, to sort of like drag it towards modular stuff. Because I, I, know, I know that that's kind of probably most relevant to uh, people. Not in listening. the least. I'm 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 completely agnostic. I've used software for twenty years. It's okay. Yeah, it's all music. I think that the thing that draws a lot of people to modular stuff is that that process is illustrated in three dimensions for you. So if you look at a patch, it's like your thought process. You've thought okay, what if that goes into that and then that goes into that? And it's there's bright coloured wires that just uh, instantiate, you know, make physical this quite sort of, just this like idea that you've had about how you can connect a few things together. And it kind of reminds you of all the steps. It means that you don't have to, you can you can like look away at something else you know oh, maybe that can go back over there you know it kind of it illustrates your idea um and that just makes the whole thing more fun and more real like it you know literally makes it real mm. um and that it is it is really fun you know it's it's one of those things where just thinking about the idea, you know, there are, there's a lot of stuff where that's enough, you know, you can kind of get to the, you can get to a slight satisfactory resolution just by thinking it through to its resolution. Um, but somehow like instantiating it 
it's like it's open enough that it's giving you enough options to kind of challenge you and give you give you choices but not so many that it's going to take you too long to investigate it it's um specifically the modular you mean as in the physical real modular not a endless max msp patch that could well I th- you know I, I suppose that it's it's open you know like i i started on i started on reactor and i never ever finished anything on it um <laughs> it was it was you know not because it was bad but like when i first when i got my my first rig it, it was it was really limited but it meant that i had to record something to do something else and because at the time I was into kind of like Raymond Scott and Tometer and stuff like that, I kind of, I was really stuck on making everything completely from scratch. So if I wanted a kick drum every single time I patch a kick drum and then I patch some hats, that process of forcing you to commit, forcing you to like, uh, make something and not just be able to sort of like put it aside and come back to it. It's quite, um, it just gives you a bit of like forward momentum that mm. it's that just the ability to undo or to come back to it. It allows you to just cop out and go, I'll do that later. Whereas if you need to pull all the cords out, you know, you're not going to get back to it. I mean, really, are you going to know any better in a few days' time? You're not, right? Like, you're not. You're definitely not. You're just not going to. So just record it. Just tr- track it. And, like, if it's wrong, do another. Mm. So there's this real sense of committing. The difficulty is that there's a sort of, there's this, like, fetishization of kind of expensive gear, which it doesn't need to be. You know, you, you can do all of this stuff. Like, there's there's no, you're not cutting corners uh, in using software. Um, but I think you probably are selling yourself a bit short if you do that thing that I, I did of, you know, you like patch a snare and then you go, Oh, probably could be a bit better. Maybe I'll listen to some records and I'll come back to it, you know, or like, and then you come back to, you come back to do another one and you just open the old snare. It's like, it's pretty good. Just track it. Whereas, you know, if, if it was all out and you had to repatch it, just the po- the purpose the, the process of tracking it of uh, sorry of of repatching it you just go oh, maybe I'll make the noise out of you know we'll get like a comparator and a this and a that and a we can just do it slightly differently it sounds different and like mm-hmm. then you just lo- learn different ways around it it's just it sort of it just sort of invites you to do it and there's no reason why all of those benefits can't be had just by discipline i think with software benefits like uh, the benefits of uh, of the physical thing of the, the limitations of it and the kind of the i get the discipline right like at a, a really hard level i i don't rec- i wouldn't necessarily recommend this but like i i met someone again um, i basically i pick people's brains about how they do it when uh when i meet them i met someone who when he when he had an idea that he thought was kind of good, he had this rule where he'd track it and delete the session. Delete all the parts, everything. Just delete it, gone. Got that track, that's it. 
which at the time I made that face, the face you're making, I was like, you what? But at the time we were talking about like on a, on a desk, right? So he'd kind of, you'd have it going on desk, bit of a vibe going and you get that feeling like, oh, this is a thing, isn't it? Right. And he'd sort of just disciplined himself that when he got that feeling, he wouldn't interrogate it. He'd just set up a record channel and just record the mix and then take that mix and put that in a folder somewhere and then take the entire session with all of the multi-tracks and all of that stuff and just bin the lot, which seems is such an aggressive way of doing things, particularly in a world of like when I first started, like if you put an EQ on something or if you deleted a section of audio, it was gone, right? So there was already that kind of no undo level. Um, but, you know, the idea now that like you can't just like, oh, that bit, I want, I want it back again. You just pull it back out again, right? Like, good, good. But then also you might pull it back and then pull it back out again, turn it up and then turn it back down again. You're back to your react, reactor patch again. Think about like, what are we doing? What, like, what's the purpose of this gear? It's to like, basically just to capture the spirit of a, like a moment that like you had that feeling where you were like, huh, this is like doing a thing to me, right? Huh. And so at that moment, you can either record it or you can go, I wonder if it needs about a bit of 115 pulled out of the kick. You know, it might be a bit screechy in the hats. I don't know. Like, let's sweep an EQ around it. And like, don't get me wrong. I do that, right? Like, I, I love that stuff. But sometimes I just remember what he said is just like, just print it. And the, the problem is if the set, like his, his logic was, if the session is there, I'll never use the file. I'll, I'll always just go back to it and I'll turn the hats up and down and all, do all the things that you shouldn't do. It's like, if, if I print it, that's it, right? And then it's either good or it's bad. And like, if you need the bass a bit louder, just lay something over it, you know? Like, I, I would, like I'm not recommending this for people because it certainly will cause more problems then maybe it solves. But like, if your problem is, and I suspect that the vast majority of people, the, their problem is that they faff about, it's done. Just no faffing. Just sort of like return it back to gear. I've got a, an Electron A4, which is the single piece of gear that I have loved and hated. At first, I was like amazed at it at first. And then I thought, I can't get anything out of this and, uh, you know, went round and round in circles with it. And my resolution is I've just made like some, like a kind of knob controller for it and deleted all the presets. It's great again. Is that the fader foxes? You use those yeah. as your sort of interface for it? Yeah, yeah. I, just, I can't, I just can't do encoders. They don't really make any sense to me. Like mm. it's kind of, I, I, I don't know. It feels like a mouse. Like, yeah. you know, there's, there's something about like a pot that like I can be looking at something else and controlling it. Yeah. And I think it's quite an important thing that you can be really like, really like listening to the music and really listening to how things relate to one another and that an action over to your side and then maybe one over here that are kind of controlling, you know, that are like shaping those two things that are like, relating to each other if you're looking at them and it's going 35 36 37 38 some part of your brain is no longer engaged like 
Imagine if riding a bike, if it was like 32, 33, 34, <laughs> like you'd fall off get every time, right? Just <laughs> no way. I'd be looking at it like, oh. I do. I 100% agree with you. In the instance where you have like, you know, I've got a Corgasmatron here, which is very cutting filter and it's like, I want to be able to ride that. Like you, filters have to be played. They're yeah. played like, you know, any instrument, you know, like bowing, uh, you know, bending a string on a guitar, you know, a cutoff ride is such an intrinsic part of yeah, the electronic musician's repertoire. It's telling that Dave Smith, you know, made the, that uh, Prophet 08 and then he had to do the Prophet 08 pot edition because, yeah. because there were, you know, it's like a prophet with endless encoders. We, we actually, we had that in our live rig because uh, we wanted to, basically we wanted a Juno, but massive Juno, you can't tour it. Um, <laughs> and we had that 08 and I used to have it uh, in a rack with a MIDI controller resting on the top of it, <laughs> which is just, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just That's ridiculous. a sign that it's ridiculous. you fucked up. <laughs> like, just like you, you, the gesture, like, I mean, all those knobs are supposed to do is capture gestures, right? That's, we're not, they're not, we're not encoding synths. It's a gesture capturing device and if it doesn't capture the gesture it's not it's not doing it mm. uh, so yeah we bought the pot you could get a little thingy to swap it out and yeah you did that it's worth it so what's your tell me about this setup i'm interested in the setups that you've had kind of over the years and like the studios the sort of studios you built the kind of what do you enjoy Particularly, like when you, you know, what do you enjoy in gear? What do you look for? What do you enjoy giving yourself to do when you make music and play? You know, what what, do you, what role do you give yourself? What do you give up to the machine? Um, all of it, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, th- I think maybe maybe an interesting way of uh, looking at it is so w- when I was about to go into hospital, I stupidly thought that it would I'd just be like in a room basically just trapped because I couldn't, because I couldn't be able to go out, but kind of fine. Uh, and so I made myself increasing sized synth rigs that the idea was Jess was going to, my missus was going to bring us in, bring in, and I would not go loopy stuck in this room for a month. Uh, so the first one was uh, just Norns, which is the thing that is, completely blown my brain out uh recently it's just really really basically just does you know from a sequencing point of view it's just kind of really interesting uh so i've made myself uh, some little sequences controlled by uh I'm trying to see, see if you can see it yeah, it? there we go let me turn that around for the benefit of those who can't see there's a circle on and like a as modular monome norns and arc i got a couple of mother 32s patched into a single voice which is super limited, but in a really good way. Basically, it's, it's got that slightly Juno thing where like, regardless of where you turn the knobs, it just sounds really good. Yeah. And then ready for when I got home, I built this, which is, it's actually the tour, it's mostly modules from the SMD touring rig. So mm. I've had these. Analog systems modules. Yeah, analog systems modules, which I bought. God, I, I so like literally probably like twenty years ago, 
like really a long time ago and they've been everywhere you know they've been all around every all, all over the place and i wanted one of those like snazzy little wanted one of those snazzy little flat cases like everyone has now yeah sort of like uh, nice touring case type thing like a briefcase yeah you know like like a grown-up uh <clears> but <throat> because i got into modular back when it was kind of Back when they were big. Yeah, right, when it was all massive, like all the boards are really deep and all that stuff. So what it is, is uh, if you can imagine one of the kind of old school DOFA style analog systems rack cases, I suddenly realised that there were other sides to it. And so what I've done is I took the back off and I've put the power supply at the bottom and I've got it so that there are modules on the back as well. Oh my goodness. As On the back as well as the front which is a stupid thing to do, but it rate, I mean, I'm, I'll put my hand up. It was a stupid thing to do. I don't think that's do. stupid. I think that's perfectly fine. <laughs> I'm really, I feel, yeah. Uh, do you have it on a party Susan so you can rotate it? Well, I, I, I did consider this, but I, like it sort of, it raises its own interesting to me set of questions, which is thing, which relates back to what you were saying. What do you want to do? Like, Practically, do you need to touch all the parameters on your LFO or can it just knock around? You know, like on a reverb, do you, do you turn the knobs on it or, you know. Put them up to full and that's it. It was, it was sort of, I mean, interesting in the loosest sense of the word, Uh, but it was, it was sort of interesting in terms of like what I put on the front and what I put on the back. And I ended up with like various ideas, like I was going to have, all the oscillators on the back, which seems, I'm glad I didn't actually. If I tried it by turning, just turning it around. <laughs> um, I was going to have only envelopes on the front. I was going to get all like, just like, I, I, I am into envelopes. Um, but so, but so, it, so you'd like patch a sound and then you just have lots of different ways. You'd have like various different pulses coming in that would just animate the sound. So, and so in this process, it made me, come up with a new Eurorack format, oh. which sh- like, uh, which actually ne- maybe now is uh, the perfect, you're the perfect person to... Uh, it's the world premiere, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Uh, yeah. Um, particularly on newer modules, the patching part is usually like clustered at the bottom. Yes. Right? Like on, on the modules that I've got, usually it's next to the knobs. There's no kind of sense of kind of like looming or anything. It's just a kind of like mat of stuff that goes over. So what I was thinking is that either in like a, like a one U tile or as just a separate, like effectively like a separate little module below, just connected with a ribbon cable between the two, it would mean that you could have like a three U channel of just patch, right? So your rat's nest down there and then your main board that's just knobs. Yeah, sort of get the cables out of the way somehow, like trunk them. Well, trunk lines is a sort of concept that is on um, on the Moog modular. I have trunk lines where at the front and the backs, there's there's basically, you know, the back and the front are connected so that your trunk lines will go out to your desk. There are, there are some really good modules which are like RJ45, like Cat5. I've, I've got that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. Got, I've you, got that dough for one. In fact... One, so inside that DOFA one, there's a, a header, a little header that you can use to connect it to other ones internally. But it's the weird, it's just a really weird format. So charmingly, I 
not charmingly for me, charmingly for the company. Um, I emailed Dofa because Dofa make it's the multi core that Dofa make, right? I emailed them and Dita Dofa emailed me back. Of course, it, yeah, that it is charming, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, and he said, oh, you know, uh, we, we haven't got, like, I haven't told anyone about this yet, but we will do it and we'll put the cables up and here's the manufacturer that you use. And I would have had to have bought like, like 50 meters of cable. Okay. For it to, you know, it's like, yeah. so I haven't, I haven't done it yet, but sometimes I'm, I feel really like burnt out, particularly with Euro, because it feels quite, there's a sort of frenzied, slightly kind <laughs> of greedy quality to it. It's really weird. As you, before you even what, saw your mouth forming the word F, I had the word frenzied in my yeah. head. It's very weird. <laughs> yes, it is. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not healthy. It's like, it's, no, not, it's not. It's not. It's, it's consumerism, like ramped up it's sort of all of the cycles that you go through where you like you know the sales funnel um, yeah you know that is just like it's like it's turned up to 11 so it's it's just happening a lot faster and a lot of people more in love more excited more desirous for the thing more quickly and then you forget about old things it's like when i was looking at the, the you know this that um what's the show that you did with Simeon as Simeon Mobile Disco, where it's like in that Starfield place, it's like oh, radio. Yeah. yeah, where you've got the double circlons and it's, I love that. Yeah. I, lo- I love the, the overall presentation, the whole thing. Musically, it's great, but it's just like, it's a great expression of like just gentlemen at their synths, you know, just quite, you know, very, it's very serious. I mean, it's it does look ridiculous. And I mean that in a very, you know, positive, good way. It's just the seriousness of the whole thing. But I noted that, you know, it's 2014 or 16, was it? Or And I was like, I was looking at the modules and then, you know, I was like, oh, there's a cycle box. And, you know, I've got it right here. I've got one of those cycle boxes. And I was like, that's vintage now, you know? And it's sort of like, but there was, that's not, it, it, it's not that old. Um, it's weird. There's a sort of, you know, like those analog, those analog systems modules you have, those almost feel sort of prehistoric at this mm. point, which is so weird because they're just not that old. Um, although I was working this out, like, I don't know what the significance. I was thinking to myself, if if this year was the year the DX7 came out, then the Moog modular system, the very first one, the first voltage-controlled modular, would have come out in 1999. Right. I don't know if that was like a long time or not. It was basically 20 years was the sort of from the invention of the voltage controlled modular synthesizer to the DX7. It's basically 21 years or something like that. I was like, is that a long time? Do I feel that there's been this equivalent innovation in the last 20 years? I don't know what you feel, whether... Beep! At this point during the conversation, unfortunately, the system that I used to record the conversation fell over. So after an interlude where me and Jazz Shaw looked at each other, mouthing the words, I can hear you, but I can't hear you, but I can hear you, but I can't hear you. We restarted our computers. I got a beer out of the fridge and Jazz returned using the Chrome browser. And the conversation continued. I'm going to hit record. Good grief. Well, sorry right. about that. Interlude. Yeah. I hope you uh, had a nice break. Yeah. It's stressful, isn't it? <laughs> Not the opposite of a relaxing break. Uh, yeah. So I think I was saying, did we think there was anything particularly, we have the same sort of level of innovations in the last 20 years. And I suppose a lot of the gear that you've got is made within that period. You know, what are your feelings about the sort of the trajectory of music equipment and what do you like best about the kind of the stuff you have? I suppose what's, what speaks to you? 
I mean, there's so much, right? Like all of it in different ways. For a long time, Circlon was, uh, is actually, it's sort of become like kind of how I understand music to a certain extent. Um, it, what do you mean by that? Yeah, what, what does it do for you? I feel like maybe for like pretty much, with the exception of stuff that we did on the Juno, you could make any of the tunes that I've made in the last 20 years with just two sequencers. <laughs> just, like if you just get a sequencer and then another sequencer and it bothers that sequencer in a different way, I'm slightly simplifying, but also slightly not simplifying. <laughs> It's, it's like, it's that mindset. So it's, uh, in the process of making music, I don't, I don't touch the keys and that's not, uh, it's just cause there's, I don't have the sequencer inside me. Do you see what I mean? Like, mm. um, and so the, the, the process is like, I kind of want a note here and a note there and then sort of want it to go up a bit and then down a bit, right? So maybe that's like, it's it's always, I start from a point, I start from a quite boring point and then I modulate it until its boringness is gone. That's something that I could do if I was a skilled pianist, but then I kind of like learn on guitar and violin. And so the idea of like discrete notes, so with, with a violin, there just aren't notes. Like there aren't like kind of discrete notes. There's kind of varying degrees of pressure. And so once I move from, again, you know, like back back in Reactor, you'd like write these like notes into a sequencer. You just have like a drum machine and that sends some clicks and then like maybe send it to a divider and that goes to a sequencer. The decoupling of those two things felt much more like a guitar where, you know, you might like hit a note and then slide up onto another note uh, or you'd be bending the string, but then even the sort of friction of the bending the string would make it make some sound. So you kind of just like have the amp hanging open a little bit and it felt like a much, it like they, they just, they, you know, they call that like discrete, right? You know, discrete sequencing. That process just seemed much more natural to me. And the downside to it is it's more or less mono, right? It's very difficult to do in poly. But then that's kind of fine too. Like a lot of the stuff that I really liked, particularly like electronic stuff, it was very spare. And then a couple of the people who had done those records, I met them and went, oh, I love how, love how you really boiled down stuff to just, just a few notes. And they were like, oh, it's just because we couldn't afford poly synths. And you go, I would have done if I could. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that like, but like that, it just, it just seemed to work. And so what I lost with Circlon was what I really enjoyed was just turning the dial. Like what I love on a, on just a raw sequencer is particularly the, I've I've got, I've got uh, some kind of like ropey surge stuff now. I say ropey, you know, kind of DIY surge stuff. Mm. And the sequencer on that, you can just hold a stage and just turn the knobs and then let it go and it kind of taps along and then hold another stage and just turn turn the knobs and it doesn't it never says oh that's this note or that's that note because like I've learned like a little bit of like a sort of problematic amount of music theory where I go oh well that's the fifth so 
then you know maybe that needs to do it just it adds it adds preconceptions without really helping me in any kind of sensible way and so quite often with circle on i just turn it to numbers you know you can just set the instrument so that it just it just sends midi numbers and so it represents it on the thing as numbers um and it's just much easier because you're like oh 27 and 32 and you know and you're not it, it does none of that baggage comes with it you know mm. you're just you're then you're just listening to like what's happening around you rather than kind of unpacking it mm. but in terms of like what i really liked about not even having the numbers i just like that thing where you kind of turn it until it feels right and then you just do it again you do it again like i remember there's like one one particular smd track that we did all on the the stepper that i've got um really pleased with it it was like we really thought we'd like cracked it you know lot like big dense chords that shifted does all of this stuff and then for the live show we had to kind of work out because obviously you can't take the synth and all the sequences and all it's just not practical so we had to work out the midi and it was just basically two chords in inversions it's really really mundane but maybe the you know to a certain extent maybe kind of the the voicing of it or the, the way it moved meant that it was just to your ear it was more interesting but then also maybe the fact that if it had just been two chords and it had been visibly just two chords we would have felt compelled to add a third chord because we're so clever we can use three chords you know what I mean whereas if you're just listening to it that nagging that nagging kind of analysis that can sometimes be helpful but a lot of the time it just sort of railroads you into doing something that you expect rather than something that you're kind of feeling out with mm. any degree of honesty. Um, yeah, like it's, it's absurd that you have to hide the reality of the situation from yourself to be able to turn that analysis off. But apparently I have to. I don't think you're unique in that, in the sense that like when I see, you know, you've got on the circle and you've got a row of 909 style buttons and you've got some are lit, some are not lit. I'd like to push that. That's a nice button to push. It would be nice to push to fill that. The temptation is to fill, you know, is to be more additive because the the button's there. Just tap it. So it's sort of, I know exactly what you mean. And if you you can't see the button, then you are just listening. And if you could truly just listen, you know, I do wonder if there's some musicians, electronic musicians that I've, I've had communication with, met who are blind and, I do wonder, you know, I imagine there's a lot that's very difficult, I mean, enormously difficult about making electronic music as a blind person. But then I also think there's possibly some deep advantages to the the fact that you are very much in the auditory world and there's perhaps less of a temptation to just, uh, I think, visual, you know, certainly using a DAW, it invites all manner of habits, you know, there's a kind of, our visual sense is so powerful and commanding that I think it it is all too easy to become visual when you draw with a, you know draw notes with a mouse. There are you know which isn't to say that there aren't sort of habits that I'm sure if you're just truly listening to music uh, you know and you know able to work in a very fast and fluid way where the interface is not sort of getting in the way that you you know. But I've said before how like wouldn't it be amazing if there was like an Ableton Live thing. Uh, where if you hit space bar and it just would make the screen go black 
Someone said to me, just close your fucking eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, okay, fair enough, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> shut up, that's, that's better. Uh, I do switch my monitor off quite often. Uh, and it definitely does, definitely makes a difference. Particularly if you've been listening for a little while. Like you say, the blocks thing is just a killer. And e- even to the extent of once you've done a lot of sessions, you kind of expect them to look a certain way. <laughs> you know, and I find myself even arranging them so that like the first ones are at the top that come in and they kind of come down a bit and they form a bit of a shape. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and then sometimes I catch myself and I'm like, that, that's the work, you know, that's the equivalent to going up to a guitar and playing an E minor. It's just the end, isn't it? You know, it's, it's dreadful. I've not got nothing against E minor. It's you know it's it's acceptable. Got to start but, somewhere. Yeah, got to start somewhere. But but uh, I suppose it's that um, it's that thing of of just expectation, personal expectation, and and that sort of tipping point between where experience helps you and where it becomes a force that makes you more conservative. You know, and f- for sure, I think the good thing about experience is when it means that you kind of like go through the obvious stuff, you know, if everybody's done that thing of like, you get a, you get an 808 and a 303 and you stick them into a distortion pedal and you've cracked it, right? You've cracked. It's so exciting. It really does sound very good. It's great. Like you've cracked it, but that you do do it a few times and then you kind of realize that you're not the only one that cracked that. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't diminish that, but if you can take, if that experience can like drive you to try and use those elements in a different way, then that's useful experience. But if in a situation you always go for what worked last time, you've, you're in a tra- you've trapped yourself. It's a trap. How do you do that? How do you break out of it? Just, just, I mean, for me, I just make a different system try and make a different like almost every record we've made a different system uh certainly with like smd we we usually add something that we can't control you know like in one situation uh we got we we got the circlons you know so we've been touring up until that point we've been using the steppers and then like live we'd been using kind of ableton for midi and then kind of like to play vocals back on it and we just thought we got to a point where we felt we were sort of good at it and that that was maybe a little bit dangerous because just get a bit podgy. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, yeah. so we, we, it seems so arrogant now, but like, you know, we, we booked this gig in the desert and we bought two circlons. Always the start of a good story. Right. Like it was, and, but I really, you know, I'm, I feel like it's sort of indicative of like, cause you know, then like even working with the choir, like, you know, we kind of, it was like an element that was a bit out of our control, a lot out of our control, in fact. Um, and something that, something we just weren't qualified for, honestly, you know, I'm trying to kind of explain this. Like that sounds like slightly kind of self-aggrandizing, but actually it's sort of the opposite. Like the same with the, the Circlon thing is it, it wasn't a kind of like, look, mum, no door type situation. It was really a way of avoiding the abject terror of going back into the studio with the exactly the same gear and a record 
that had come out months before that was the result of that same system and us doing our complete best, right? You know, putting everything into it and then just coming back to that same system and being like, right, you've got to do it all again, but better and different. <clears throat> impossible, like impossible. Like, like I can't do it. Like, like at the point an album's finished, that's all I've got for that system probably. And so I have to jump, I have to pull it to pieces, you know, and rebuild it in a way that I feel that like I can approach what is in truth two sequences arguing, um, but is somehow instantiated in a way that is fresh, feels fresh. Um, and like, so like exactly that in the majority of the sequences I've made or modified in Norns are two sequences arguing, but I can kind of control how they argue in a different way to how I could if they were two physical objects or if it's Circlon. Um, Tracks can, they can argue quite well in Circlon, can't they? I mean, there's sort oh, of yeah. orcs events and like they can interchange, you can swap notes between tracks, can't you? And stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's really good. You can get one track to transpose another, you can get one track to kind of swap or to, you can get one track to take over the like lengths or velocities or CC, you know, various different things that can be sent to another. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's a nice step on the way to the horror of a max patch because what, what it's done is it's taken all of the options and it's boiled them down to fewer, but they all work. Cause this is the thing when you're writing, I mean, in, on Norns, it's Lua. But like on, on Lua, they've done the same thing. They've basically taken Super Collider and they've wrapped it in a layer of, in a layer of Lua. Um, and it means that there's just less horror <laughs> for you. It just is, you know. A bad kind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, I did, I, I worked as a software developer for a little while. So I, I, I know, I know, the, I know that how deep the horror goes. And, you know, with this, you do have to kind of, you have to manage your edge cases and you have to manage all that stuff. But like, they've done all the back end stuff. Um, so you're kind of, you get the pretty bit uh, to deal with. And Circlon's like a layer up from that. And then I think Modular's a, la- a layer up from that in that it's, it's again, it's a kind of sifting, you know, you, you've narrowed your options. And I, I, I don't mean that in a bad way because really in any given record to make any sense, you just have to narrow your options. To have all of the options is, is kind of meaningless. I, I, for me anyway, it's, I, I, can't, I can't enjoy it, right? Mm. You know, it's like there's, I'd much rather have one or two synths and like really get at them have you know you like people talk about oh i had a day in a studio and they've got like a thousand synths oh, it's just dreadful like what are you gonna what are you gonna do it's like a whole day of anxiety um just lend me one just one of those synths i don't even want to see the other ones I, I suppose a good example of this is like my missus is an english teacher she says if you just tell the class write a story they'll say it's impossible we can't write a story. But then if you say, write a story about a terrible thing that happened at lunch, they've all written a story before you've, you know, and it's just because you frameworked it for them. You've made like a sort of, everyone's had lunch. Everyone can think of a story about lunch, but like without something to just start from, just like a little, just anything to get going from, people are just stuck. 
And I think that's to a certain extent what we've done for ourselves. And you know, like when, when you work with other bands and they come in and they kind of like, oh, you know, we're into this and this and this and this. And you're like, everyone is, right? You don't, they don't all have to go into every song. Kind of that, that process of recognising what's relevant and not, not just, just not trying to do it all. Does that, that make any sense? <laughs> it does. What, I'm curious what sort of things, what, on a basic level, because I don't really understand Lua or programming, is what kind of things do your non-patches do? You know, To me, a modular person, could you explain just sort of what, what kind of things are happening in these patches that you play? Really just like modules, honestly. Like it's, it's really like, and actually I, so I've got Crow, which for me, it's like a real, like all, all Crow is, is like, um, it just connects to uh, Norns and then it means that you can put CV in and out. So like, like what you can do with the expert sleepers. Mm. Um, it just, it means that you can, it means you can just make a module. It means you can have an idea and make it. And to sort of go back into the kind of, you know, how we were discussing the kind of like modular fear, where you, people like open modular grid, they want to have the smallest HP and the most functionality and da, 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 and then something new comes along and you have to have that. To a certain extent, like with surge stuff, you just got what you've got and you just have to build it from that. So if you want another filter, you can just make it out of a, I mean, basically you make everything out of slopes. It changes the way you think. I think often modules become a sort of problem solving object where you go, oh, I want everything quantized by a quantizer, right? Like all of the monome stuff is a, not all of it, but like certainly like a lot of it is kind of like problem posing. So it just says you might be able to do something with this. It doesn't do anything on its own. And it makes you just look at like the other module and see how it works and go, how, how could I build that myself? I had a concept, like for a little while, I had a concept. Uh, I was going to call it the electric workaround. I was going to do like a series of gigs and invite someone to come and stay with me for a week. And then we do a gig at the end of it uh, up in a venue in London and record it and just, I don't know how we do it. Uh, but I always liked the idea that like, it's a bit of a gaffer tape situation where you need a filter and you've not, you've run out. How are you going to do it? You know, you just go, oh, maybe, maybe if we, I don't know. They, 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 I mean, there's all hundreds of ways that you can do this or that. Um, and I find that process usually results in a more interesting solution than if I could click my fingers and have another rack and just put that module in. Because then you, you sort of step back and you go, well, what functionally, what job's that doing? Like, what, why do I want that? Oh, I, like I, I want it because these two things are out of tune. Could I sync them? You know, would that do it? Like maybe that'll be a timbral change that'd be interesting as well. Maybe I just need to flip in tuner. Like it's a real thing. There are tuners. Maybe it's a bit strong to kind of bring the word capitalist in, but like it stops you from uh, wanting to buy your way out of a problem. Yeah. It just makes you kind of, I'm going to use, I'm going to say compromise, which artistically is not a cool word, but actually I think, I think it's something that's very underrated to just say, right, you know what? Like we need a kick drum. This will do, right? We'll just have to make one. Like we, we don't have a Lin. Let's make something that sounds a bit Linish, you know? Well, it's what you're describing is 
creative. Yeah, exactly. It's a cre- yeah. It's a, cre- it's a more creative solution yeah. than just buying the thing that does the thing. And I think there's a, I've, I've, there are many occasions where I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if I could do, oh God, I, I should be able to do this. Like, it'd be cool if I could do this. Oh, I need to go on modular grid, find the module that does it without realizing that. I already have a module that does that. Like, or there's a way that I can patch that functionality. It's happened on more than one occasion where I have tried to invent something that I already, or tried to buy something that, in effect, I already own. It's lazy thinking, and it's and it's I, I do think uncreative to to just be like, especially also like the you know people who post like what's just fill fill my hole. Like I've got a hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's interesting. That's a, that's a thing, isn't it? That people have go, oh, I've got so-and-so space. What should I put in it? Which is. What goes here? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a fair question. It is, it is, it is a fair question, but I, I think I was incredibly lucky actually, uh, in terms of the time that I got into this because I, I totally gelled with this system. And I think that, Part of it is because I just bought it as a chunk secondhand from someone and it's all the same manufacturer. I mean, now I've got the old bits here and there. And something that is really underrated is they don't just stick the knobs where they pop up on the PCB. They think really hard about where everything goes and they think about it in between the modules and how the whole system uh, plays right? And I mean that in terms of how it patches and how your hands move around it. it these, aren't, these aren't accidents. And, you know, I, I see this a lot in, um, I saw, what's her name? Emily from Mutable Instruments has so open-mindedly made everything open source. So there's all these like two HP versions of like enormous modules. And if you ever read anything that she said, it's like, it's so deeply thought out. And the idea that you would take something that has been thought of and just scrutinised and just make it as little as you can so that you could fit another envelope in, you tool. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so arrogant, isn't it? Do you know, obviously, you know, everybody wants, oh, you know, everyone wants an individual system. I, I completely understand that. But like, there's something about having a system that is cohesive and really what you're asking yourself to do in doing this kind of mix and match thing is to be as smart as Emily. And you're not, I'm not, not many people that you bump into will be. It's, it's just, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to make something that is something that moves from being some plates screwed into a rack into an instrument that is psychologically compelling and you're you're much more likely to get that from you know it's horrible to say it but from just choosing all from the same manufacturer you know i know it goes completely against the concept to a certain extent uh of eurorack like if you were to buy an entirely make noise intelligel mutable or in any of those other manufacturers if you were to buy a system from them it would be complete in a way that I don't know if you would necessarily get from a like a real kind of like knights on modular grid 
faff about. You do not like ha- having this thing apart and then putting it back together again. I've always just had it because it's like annoying power supply analog system stuff it's just it's, oh, yeah. it's well it's just it predates day for format so like it, it's it's fine it kind of all works but like it meant that like naturally it kind of it kind of formed its own thing and i didn't do that much mixing and matching and so just purely by luck i ended up with something that you know even just like the spacing on the knobs they all just line up it's just not a big old higgledy piggledy mm. like my one here yeah, but you know, the kind of it's really difficult because I, you know, I don't want to belittle any, but you know, everybody's way of music is equally valid, and and that, that to a certain extent that argues against what I was saying against the sort of atomized version of modular, where you just build everything from comparators and slopes, right? Like there are definitely pieces. I've, in fact, I've got what I've, I've got a just friend off a friend. Uh, right. he, he he lent he lent it to me, uh, saying he's like I think this is genius, but I, I can't get anything out of it. And it was exactly the kind of thing that I was like a bit sniffy about because it it looked to me like it was just six slopes. It is just six slopes, but the way it's put together is an absolute work of. It's like a maybe poetry's a bit over the top but like the way it works has just made me think about how yeah it just it's like it's jogged my brain into thinking about how things work in a completely different way and it's brought that to me and so like with a really good module you're not buying this many dials and this many jack sockets you're buying like a concept right you're buying their idea of how to make music it feels like they have, they've got like an aura in the process. It's quite nice. Like I kind of have totally undone my own argument uh, of just turning every, like they, at one point I was like, I'm just going to have slopes. That's it. Panel of slopes done. That's, you can make any synth out of that. You might as well have punch cards at that point. No, just- no. Well, you know, the thing, the thing is with slopes, they can do everything, right? They can be oscillators. They can be filters. They can be envelopes. All math system. Yeah, really, like it wouldn't be that, like you can buy the boards, you could just make yourself a panel and just have what, like 18 slopes or whatever, done. Um, can you get resonance out of a slope? Can you make yeah, it? Yeah, like, you just feed it back, you just feed it back into itself. Yeah, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> it's not, yeah, because that's all resonance is, isn't it? It's just the output getting sent to the input, right? I think it is. Through, no, I don't through, know that for sure though. I'd probably run, there's going to be people, they'll prove us wrong. But, um, so I'm like I made this uh, this system that where MIDI notes they come in with CCs for any extra MIDI notes, then it unpacks it. And if there's more MIDI notes, if if any if there's two MIDI notes that land at the same time, the velocities are added. And then there's a kind of thing that uh, to to relate back to the the slope thing, where if there's a lot of activity, it just ignores them. You know, it just kind of. <laughs> It's just like well, if it doesn't play anything. Like no, well, just, just so like it, it, like if like a kind of hysteresis thing where like you can set how long before it listens again. So if a note comes in, it will it might stop listening for twenty milliseconds or it might stop listening for a second, and it's it's such a rudimentary like a really kind of brute force thing to do. But actually, if you have a sequencer that's running considerably faster than that, 
just that process can make it really interesting because you get like this one and that one and this one and that one. And it means that the sequence sort of demonstrates itself over the course of maybe eight bars. And actually it sounds like you've put a lot of effort in and all you've got is like an eight step sequence that's knocking around and a thing that's just ignoring most of the notes. And why do I find that compelling? I'm genuinely asking myself that question now because when I said it, it sounded fucking stupid. Well, I mean, I, I, I have just been, I've been rediscovering the, the trigger riot, which is, you know, the trigger riot is basically, it's lots of clock dividers in a line with logic that combines them. And that adds up to make beats, basically, or patterns. And then or you've got probability for each one. And so you set an 80% probability. And, and just even without probability, it sounds, it begins to sort of almost, you know, the human mind, which loves to find patterns, begins to start to like hear the drummer thinking and playing stuff. But then as soon as you introduce probability and you just sit back and listen, you're like, good grief, this is off it goes forever and ever and ever and ever with these complex ever changing beats. And it's all it is, is just some divide, you know, literally it's four clock dividers logic and some prob and it's, but it's the probability that makes it interesting. Cause then it's, there's a different interaction each time. And I think, well, I've been listening to book, this book about like the human brain and it's like this, the Darren Brown on audible talking about the sort of the fact that human, um, <clears throat> the joke is that there's this thing where there's like patterns being flashed and multiple colours, um, and I won't remember this well, but but the, the crux is that there's humans are being tested and, you know, there's a sequence of flashing lights and you have to push the button, I think, to predict whether there's going to be a green light that comes up and rats are given the same thing to do and the, the rats have to judge if there's a green light is going to come up. And the rats intuitively work out that 80% of the time that the green light comes up. and that, But the humans are unable to infer this just basic commonality in, in, in the lights that are coming because the human brain is trying desperately to see a pattern. So it thinks, no, no, I'll... I know when it's coming and it's like, and it's trying to unpick and think through something where there is no, it, you know, there is no pattern. It's just 80% of the time. And basically even after humans are told what the, the, the is happening, they still don't do it. You know, they still do it wrong. And it's this idea that human beings are just so enamored with trying to find patterns in things and that, you know, rats, Rats are not. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just, it's that sort of idea. It's, um, and I think maybe that's probably why we like listening to, well, it's like, well, it's why we like looking at clouds, obviously. Okay, yeah. And it's probably why I like listening to clouds, the, the module, <laughs> you know, like, we bringing it back. That, that makes, that makes sense. And I think that's to a certain extent what you're, you were saying at the start about you hearing something, you just start something and then you hear something in it. And, you know, you, you kind of manipulate it from there is because the analysis that your brain is doing, it's looking for sense, right? It's, it's, it's searching for meaning rather than just counting and then dividing by the amount that it had before, which in, in that case would be more successful. 
wouldn't make you music. I, yeah, that is that is completely what I love about all of this stuff is that at a certain point, because it, it is, it's it's so rudimentary. It's really basic. A couple of sequences, faffing about, and then at a certain point, you just go, ah, it's it's doing music, right? Like, how is it doing that? Why would that make music? It doesn't 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 make any sense. And it's it's sort of an unfair thing, but I I love the fact that such a rudimentary couple of sequences or a divider that process somehow turns a clock into something that for some reason is meaningful to you to somebody else that listens to it there's an asymmetry to that that keeps drawing us back right it definitely keeps drawing you back for sure i haven't solved it i haven't spotted that it's 80 (laughs) percent oh dear (laughs) Funny when you talk about the whole like when you were making that tune and you thought it sounded amazing and then when you only when you unpacked it it's like just two very basic chords and yeah. it's just like I think I return to this is like the sort of all the music that I'm making and the stuff that I do it's all very simple and I'm I I stand in the shower and think about like you know do I need to invent the future of music you know do I need to do that and I think there's other people who are pushing boundaries and I don't. I don't, I'm not personally compelled to feel like I need to be reinventing the very shape of what music can be. I feel that's not, for me, that's not what the function of music is. I feel like I'm happy exploring concepts that are well-trodden paths and, and you know, thematically and stylistically and, you know, with a 303 and an 808 and a 909, but... I still get a huge amount of satisfaction from listening to those things and I can't ignore it. Like there's no amount of my, my own sort of, you know, posture, you know, posturing in the shower thinking about what well, should be, you know, should be pushing boundaries, should be more like Apex Twin and doing weird things, you know, or should be more like Square Pusher and um, using the same old sampler and sequencer and pushing that in new ways every time, you know, but, but I don't know. I, at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm still really enjoying listening to the stuff that I'm doing. So I can't, I can't, I don't want to over, there's a point where I'm like, don't, don't try and overthink it. But I don't know, maybe I'm selling myself short. Maybe I won't discover something because I'm not, I'm not thinking, well, I am thinking that way. I'm, I'm a bit torn on this because when you started talking about the, you know, people like, people like Aphex and Square Pusher who throw a really long shadow, Right. No one wants to ape those those records because they exist, right? But then there's something quite unmusical about wanting to innovate for the sake of it, right? Like there's there's something quite egotistical about wanting to like maybe like put a flag in uncharted territory. Like I see a lot of people at the moment like parping on about AI and stuff like that. And I feel like it's really interesting, but it's not like no one's been there before. And so if you can do something interesting with it, you know, kind of like, like so Holly has done, done interesting stuff with it. It's not enough just to kind of, in inverted commas, use new techniques. If those new techniques are inspiring to you and drive you to make music, it's great. But if using older techniques, like you had uh, Heimbach, right? Various, like various other people's that you've had on the show before are 
almost quite kind of like Lars von Trier about how they make music, right? You know, kind of very, very limited, not even vintage, but like some of them are kind of like, I don't know what you even call it, like original, like a very old music kind of instrumentation. I don't think that that's integrally less interesting than someone who's training an AI. The sense of, the sense of newness is to each person, you know? So at that point that I plugged a 303 and a 909 into a rat. Proco rat, not a rat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not into a rat. We were talking about it, sorry. Um, like at that point, you know, that, like it was a genuine feeling that I cracked it, you know? And it wasn't like, you know, I was aware that other people had done this before, but like it was, it was like, it was inspiring, mm. you know? And it, it felt like, oh, you know, I can do anything with this. I can do like go in all these directions. And like, if a harmonium does that for you, if a max patch does that for you, great. If an AI does that for you, great. But like, I don't think that the newest piece of technology gets the priority. It's kind of, to a certain extent, maybe like when you look, when you go to what you were saying about the DX7 and then going back to the Moog, uh, DX7 was absolutely a milestone. But if you gave me a choice now between having a 55 or a DX7, you know, I'd, I'd take the Moog format modular. Not uh, even if they were even 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 if they were like even priced, the DX7 is a huge step forwards. But then you do lose things in that process, you know. And big data analysis to you know for AI stuff. This is something that like is mind blowing to the CPU of a DX7. It doesn't solve all of these problems. It's like it's, like, it's not like music has got incrementally better over the last 50 years or incrementally worse. And to a certain extent, I don't think people have necessarily become more productive in having a door that you can have in your laptop versus when they were in a band, you know, four people in a room, bosh, 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 get it, you know, get it arranged, go into a studio. They always put the drums there. They always put the mics here, vocal there, whole album recorded in a day, right? These technologies are not necessarily better or worse than one another. They're just, they're just different, you know, and like there's, there's benefits to it. Like I've worked in a tape studio, loved it, but would never use it for certain things. Like I've made entire things all in, uh, all in Norns largely, you know, kind of mix them in something else, but the bulk of it came out of Norns, loved it. And like there's, there's such contrary processes. One wasn't that much quicker than the other. And so really, I think the, the tech to a certain extent, I wouldn't say it's like a, a vehicle for the ideas, but like there's like a to and fro from it, right? But all of them are good at the same time, you know? Like there's something that is great about a band in a room. There's something that's great about this system. There's something, you know, they can all work. And I've seen, you know, so many people that I've, been really interested and then you finally meet them and you ask them how you do it and they say oh I, I did it all in like I did it all in Soundforge like that's impossible how did you do that oh no I just you know I just do this and I render it down Com- completely alien or they say you know there's like a period where a few bunch of people that I met did everything on these like particular uh multi-track like tape machine you know what I mean these kind of like 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 noise guys You'd have like a delay pedal and a like a crap sampler, and like it would sound so dense and so amazing. And they're like, "Oh yeah, it's 
it's it's just basically the two outs from these this cassette based system, and uh, it all works. Thanks very much. Lovely. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Amen, Jazz. Thank you so much. What a brilliant dude. I really enjoyed that. And uh, yes, uh, for some reason, I thought that Jazz would be quiet uh, when I spoke to him, but he was, uh, he wasn't. He was very, very outspoken. And I thought I was brilliant. I was uh, really, it just feels, I feel like we really got under the hood of the, of the why we bleep, just on certain aspects of why we bleep, most certainly. I hope you are curious to hear the music, Solbrookstella. Solbrookstella. Um, apologies to uh, Heinbach if I'm mispronouncing that. But um, yeah, go get the record. And in fact, if you go to jazzshaw.bandcamp.com, you can buy his whole back catalogue like I did for 50% off. Um, can't guarantee if that offer will be available when you're looking at this, but jazzshaw, J-A-S, Shaw bandcamp.com go there listen and buy send some money for that man because he is a wonderful person and we need to help him finance less synthesizers we don't need all these synthesizers what was that phrase that he said it's the tipping point where experience helps you or becomes a force that makes you more conservative that isn't really about the equipment but i thought it was incredibly insightful where does experience help you or does experience make you conservative? That is a very, very ponderous thing to ponder because as you get better at making music, is there a sort of boomerang effect where you get worse? That always that chestnut that when you listen to the first music you ever made, quite often it's not as terrible as you think because there's a kind of beginner's sort of naivety which is charming, you know? Um, I've definitely felt that and I'm sure you have too. It's, it's slightly concerning because then you think, how will I ever recapture it? There's another phrase about becoming an artist is the process of sort of becoming a child again or remembering how to be a child as an adult. And I think that that certainly applies to music, being remembering to be playful um, and enjoy these processes. It sounds a lot like jazz is, is, has that. It still is aware of what, you know, how to apply limitations, just use a couple of sequences and have them kind of uh, argue, argue together without getting too overwhelmed and knowing that you need to change things, change the systems that you're playing with at the end of every album, lest you feel paralysed, that you fear repeating yourself endlessly. That's the tipping point where experience helps you or may make you conservative. So just change your equipment, which isn't to say get more. Sell your old things and then buy new things, perhaps. That's a more healthy way of doing it. Constant rotation of studio. Mm. Well, 
I think that's pretty much all we have time for. And I want to thank our sponsors first. That is Skillshare and that is the beautiful, gorgeous and wonderful Signal Sounds. Um, Signalsounds.com and Skillshare. If you look in the link in my description, you can get a free month's trial um, and do some learning, watch some videos. It's really good. Um, Get yourself on there. And... I would like to thank Jazz. Thank you for giving your time. I very much enjoyed our conversation. And I'd like to thank you. If you enjoyed this and you would like to help contribute to the production of these things, you can head to my Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash Melodies, And you can join the amazing crew of people who chip in every month to help fund this and other videos and shenanigans that I produce um, where I can, where uh, my current situation is allowing me to. Um, so I'm deeply grateful for those who are are contributing but anyone who's listening sharing you don't have to pay but if you like this share it that's incredibly valuable um and shouldn't cost you a penny so i definitely appreciate any sharing any shouting any of these kinds of things it helps the podcast massively and with that yes it is finally time to bid you adieu until next time be well look after yourself and we'll see you soon